Section 25 of The History of Lady Julia Mandeville. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The History of Lady Julia Mandeville by Francis Brooke. Section 25. Epistle George. To George Mordaunt, Esquire. Saturday morning. O oh, Mordaunt, I have seen her. I have heard the sound of that enchanting voice. My lord was in the chaise with her. They stopped to drink fresh cream. William presented her a nosegay. She thanked him with an air of sweetness, which would have won the soul of a savage. My heart beat with unutterable transport. It was with difficulty I restrained myself. Mordaunt, I must return. I can no longer bear this absence. I will write this moment to Lord Belmont, and own my passion for his daughter. I will paint in the most lively colors my love and my despair. I will tell him I have nothing to hope from the world, and throw myself entirely on his friendship. I know the indiscretion of this proceeding. I know I ought not to hope for success, but I have too long concealed my sentiments, and pursued a conduct unworthy of my heart. I have wrote. I have sent away the letter. I have said all that can engage his heart in my favor. To-morrow he will receive my letter. To-morrow! Oh, Mordon, how soon will my fate be determined? A chillness seizes me at the thought. My hand trembles. It is with difficulty I hold the pen. I have entreated an immediate answer. It will come enclosed to Mr. Herbert, to whom I have wrote to bring the letter himself. On Wednesday I shall be the most happy or most lost of mankind. What a dreadful interval will it be! My heart dies within me at the thought. Epistle Henry To Henry Mandeville, Esquire Belmont, 18th September I am commissioned by Lady Anne, my dear Mr. Mandeville, to insist on your immediate return. She declares she can no longer support the country without you, but shall die with chagrin and ennui. Even play itself has lost half its charms in your absence. Lady Mary, my wife, and daughter, join in the same request, which I have a thousand reasons to press your complying with as soon as is consistent with what politeness exacts in regard to Lord T. One, and not the weakest, is the pleasure I find in conversation, a pleasure I never taste more strongly than with you, and a pleasure which promiscuous visitors have for some time ceased to give me. I have not lost my relish for society, but it grows, in spite of all my endeavors, more delicate. I have as great pleasure as ever in the conversation of select friends, but I cannot so well bear the common run of company. I look on this delicacy as one of the infirmities of age, and as much a symptom of decay as it would be to lose my taste for roast beef and be able only to relish ortolans. Lord Fondeville is next week to marry Miss Westbrook. They have a coach-making, which is to cost a thousand pounds. I am interrupted by a worthy man, to whom I am so sorry as to be able to do a service. To you I need make no other apology. Adieu, my amiable friend. Epistle Lady To Lady Anne Wilmot, Saturday, Grosvenor Street can the most refined of her sex, at the very moment when she owns herself shocked at Mrs. H.'s malicious insinuation, refuse to silence her by making me happy? 
can she submit to one of the keenest evils a sensible and delicate mind can feel, only to inflict torment on the man whose whole happiness depends on her, and to whose tenderness she has owned herself not insensible. Seeing your averseness to marriage, I have never pressed you on a subject which seemed displeasing to you, but left it to time and my unwearied love to dissipate those unjust and groundless prejudices which stood in the way of all my hopes. But does not this respect, this submission, demand that you should strictly examine those prejudices, and be convinced, before you make it, that they deserve such a sacrifice? Why will you, my dearest Lady Anne, urge your past unhappiness as a reason against entering into a state of which you cannot be a judge? You were never married. The soft consent of hearts, the tender sympathy of yielding minds, was wanting. Forced by the will of a tyrannic father to take on you an insupportable yoke, too young to assert the rights of humanity, the freedom of your will destroyed, the name of marriage is profaned by giving it to so detestable an union. You have often spoke with pleasure of those sweet hours we passed at Sudley Farm, can you then refuse to perpetuate such happiness? Are there no charms in the unreserved converse of the man who adores you? Or can you prefer the unmeaning flattery of fools you despise to the animated language of faithful love? If you are still insensible to my happiness, will not my interest prevail on you to relent? My uncle, who has just lost his only son, offers to settle his whole estate on me, on condition I immediately marry, a condition it depends on you alone whether I shall comply with. If you refuse, he gives it on the same terms to a distant relation whose mistress has a less cruel heart. Have you so little generosity as to condemn me at once to be poor and miserable, to lose the gifts both of love and fortune? I have wrote to Lady Belmont to intercede for me, and trust infinitely more to her eloquence than my own. The only rational objection to my happiness, my uncle's estate removes. You will bring me his fortune, and your own will make Belle Hastings happy. If you now refuse, you have the heart of a tigress, and delight in the misery of others. Interrupted, my uncle. May all good angels guard the most amiable and lovely of women and give her to her passionate Belleville. Epistle Colonel to Colonel Belleville, Monday. Will you marry me, my dear Allie Croker, forever this question, Belleville? And yet, really, you seem to be not at all in the secret. Respect, submission, I thought you had known the sex better. How should a modest woman ever be prevailed on by a respectful, submissive lover? You would not surely have us... Oh, heavens, a billet, some despairing inamorato. Indeed, Lord Melvin, he is not going to make love to me, sure. Very well, things are in a fine train. He writes me here as pretty an heroic epistle as one would desire, setting forth his passion for Belle Hastings, whom he has just discovered is my niece, and whom he declares he cannot live without owning appearances are against him, and begging me to convey to her a long tedidedum letter, explaining the reasons and causes. The story is tedious, but the sum total is this, that he found at Florence the friend on earth he most loved, engaged in an affair of honor, 
in which he could not avoid taking part as his second, that they went to the last town in the Tuscan state in order to escape into another. If any accident made it necessary to elude the pursuit of justice, that, to avoid suspicion, he left orders with his people to say he had left Florence, that he wrote to her by his valet, who was unfortunately seized and confined, the affair being suspected, that he was wounded, and obliged to stay some time before he could return to Florence. When he was informed she had left Italy, and though he had omitted no means to find her, had never been so happy as to succeed, had made his sister, Lady Louisa, his confidant, and by her assistance had almost prevailed on his father to consent. Almost prevailed on. Really, these are pretty airs. I shall write him an extremely stately answer, and let him know. If he expects Miss Hastings to do him the honor, his address must be in quite another style. Miss Hastings, in blood, in merit, in education, in everything truly valuable, and in fortune, too, if I please, his equal. I wish the foolish girl was not so madly in love with him, for I long to torture his proud heart. I cannot resist teasing him a little, but as I know her weakness, and that we must come to at last, I shall be forced to leave a door of mercy open. I shall, however, insist on his family's seeking the match, and on Lord Rochdale's asking her of me in form. I will not yield a scruple of our dignity on this occasion. But I must carry this letter to Belle. Adieu. As to your foolish question, I may perhaps allow you to visit at Belmont. I will promise no more at present. Did I tell you we all spent yesterday with my niece? She has the honor to please Lady Mary, who, on seeing her at a little distance with Lady Julia and me, no ill group, certainly, insisted on our sitting next winter for a picture of the Graces dancing. Or suppose, madam, said I, the three goddesses on Mount Ida, with Harry Mandeville for our Paris. Poor little Emily, being equally undersized for a grace or a goddess, must be content to be a hebe in a single piece. Adieu. Yours, A. Wilmot. Epistle Henry to Henry Mandeville, Esquire, London, September 19. This event in Russia is most extraordinary, but these sudden and violent revolutions are the natural consequences of that instability which must ever attend despotic forms of government. Happy Britain! where the laws are equally the guard of prince and people, where liberty and prerogative go hand in hand, and mutually support each other, where no invasion can ever be made on any part of the Constitution without endangering the whole, where popular clamor, like the thunderstorm, by agitating, clears and purifies the air, and, its business done, subsides. If this letter finds you at Lord T's, I would have you return immediately to Belmont, where I shall be in a few days. Lady Mary is already there, and intends to execute the design Lord Belmont mentioned to you, which makes your presence there absolutely necessary. The tide of fortune, my dear Harry, seems turning in your favor, but let it not harden your heart to the misfortunes of your fellow creatures, make you insolent to merit in the vale of humbler life or tempt you to forget that all you possess is the gift of that beneficent power, 
in whose sight virtue is the only distinction. The knowledge I have of your heart makes these cautions perhaps unnecessary, but you will forgive the excessive anxiety of paternal tenderness, alarmed at the near prospect of your tasting the poison most fatal to youth, the intoxicating cup of prosperity. May heaven, my dearest Harry, continue you all you are at present. Your father has not another wish. Adieu, J. Mandeville. Epistle Colonel. To Colonel Belleville, Tuesday morning. I stayed last night with Belle. There is no telling you her transport. She agrees with me, however, as to the propriety of keeping up our dignity, and has consented, though with infinite reluctance, not to admit Lord Melvin's visits till his father hath made proposals to me. She is to see him first at Belmont, whither she removes in four or five days. Emily Howard is gone, at my request, to spend that interval with her. We have a divine scheme in our heads, which you are not yet to be honored with the knowledge of. Oh, do you know I have this morning discovered why Lady Mary is a Tory? She has been flattered by Bolingbroke and sung by Atterbury. Had Addison turned his lyre to her praise, she had certainly changed parties. I am seldom at a loss to explore the source of petticoat politics. Vanity is the moving spring in the female machine. His interest is in the male. Certainly our principle of action is by much more noble. Eleven o'clock. Lord, what is come to my mother? She is gone smiling into Lady Mary's room. Her air is gay beyond measure. It is she must sit for a dancing grace. Past twelve. There is something in agitation with which I am unacquainted. Lord and Lady Belmont have been an hour in close consultation with Lady Mary. La Bella Giulia is this moment summoned to attend them. This unknown lover. I tremble for Harry. Should another? Almost one. I have your letter. This Russian event. True, as you say, these violent convulsions. Yes, you are right. Your reflections are perfectly just, but my thoughts are at present a little engaged. This consultation, I fear, bodes Harry no good. Should my lord's authority... I am on the rack of impatience. The door opens. Lady Julia comes this way. She has been in tears. I tremble at the sight. Belleville, they are not tears of sorrow. They are like the dewdrops on the morning rose. She looks a thousand times more lovely through them. Her eyes have a melting languishment, a softness inexpressible, a sensibility mixed with transport. There is an animation in her look, a blush of unexpected happiness. She moves with the lightness of a wood-nymph. Lady Belmont follows with a serene joy in that amiable countenance. They approach. They are already in my apartment. Adieu. Belleville, in what words? How shall I explain to you? I am breathless with pleasure and surprise. My lord, Harry Mandeville, Lady Julia, they were always intended for each other. A letter from Harry this morning, confessing his passion for Lady Julia, determined them to make an immediate discovery. Read the enclosed letters and adore the goodness of Providence, which leads us by secret ways to that happiness our own wisdom could never arrive at. End of section 25. Recording by Jadopi. www.publicdomainaudiobooks.com
www.blogspot.com.